0: Are you looking for hope? Then you're in the right place. If you're not, well, you're still in the right place because we all need hope. Welcome to the Shine and Delight podcast. We hope to navigate life's storms together as we encourage and build up one another to find true saving hope and the only one that can truly satisfy. We can't fix your problems, but we'll definitely point you towards someone who will come along.
1: Last week we talked about eschatology. Yeah. For the first like ten minutes before we recorded, and just so much good content. Yeah. That when are we doing our never recorded. When are we doing our podcast on the end times? Right. Yeah. That would
2: That <laughs> was the best content that you were gonna get out of me this whole <laughs> all this day. whole time. Yeah, yeah. And you missed it. Yeah, it happens though. Yeah, there's, there's just something when that red light goes on, it's like the pressure goes on. <laughs> the pressure goes <laughs> on. We like, like, oh, should just see the lights. Uh, well, should we get started on things, guys? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. All sure.
3: right. Beautiful people. Neville here. Just kidding. It's Andrew Templeton <laughs> and friends. Uh Shout out. Who else is here today? Yeah, Mark. Mark? We have, we Ooh, have we Mark. We got Mark. <laughs> Guest Mark. Tell us about yourself. A little uh, bit. Tell the
2: audience, I should say. Yeah. Hey, guys. My name is Mark Flores. Flower. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Uh, Flores means flower in Spanish. Um, yo soy un mexicano, pero no hablo español. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Come in. Come in. I, s- I sound like I speak like That I was pretty good. Spanish. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I sound like it, but, um, I can, I can order at a restaurant and then once they start asking me questions, I'm lost. <laughs>
1: I, had a, I had a Mexican roommate in college that was also on the baseball team with yeah. me and he taught, he and his brother taught me enough Spanish to yell at umpires in Spanish. So that's
2: about
3: <laughs> it. Yeah. So yeah. would you say you're a failure at speaking Spanish? Yes. Oh man. It is
2: my, it is one of my biggest regrets in life. Um, my parents speak fluent Spanish. My grandparents only speak Spanish. Um, And so I can't communicate really communicate with my grandparents uh, very well and my parents have a perfect way to be able to talk about me, uh, (laughs) right in front of me, without me understanding. (laughs) Uh, They talk behind my back, but in front of me, it's really weird. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it was really easy to plan Christmas presents and birthday presents when I was a kid, but uh, no, uh, 26 years old, originally uh, from Houston, Texas, more specifically the Katy Cypress area, for those of y'all who are familiar with Houston. Okay. uh, Made my way up the road about 90 minutes to Texas A&M University, um, graduated. Of course you did. I did, yes. Followed my dad's footsteps. He is wearing the ring, just so you guys are wondering, Are you uh, Aggie Colts out there. Yeah, oh. he can hear it. <laughs> uh, graduated in 2017, and then moved up here to Dallas. Been here for four years, working and doing ministry. I uh, know these two guys from my time serving at the porch previously, and um, very honored to take the uh, spot of the legendary uh, Neville Scott on this podcast. Come on, it's come there. on. Some big shoes to fill. <laughs> I didn't
1: know Neville's last name for five months after <laughs> I met him just because he's kind of like Kobe. No one ever says his last <laughs> name. Yeah.
0: It's
1: just Neville.
3: Neville. Yeah. Oh, you changed your first name from Neville to Neville. Everyone's like, dude, I don't know how to pronounce your first name. We're stuck up on that for, you know, a month. Yeah. And you're like, oh, he has a last name? I didn't know that. His first yeah. name's so cool. And then, of course, Roe is here today. Uh, yeah. Google girl couldn't join us, Mallory. <laughs> Something about having other, other plants.
1: She'll be back next week. Um, Ro, what is the icebreaker for the day? So, Mark, we're going to start with you because you're the guest. Give me mm-hmm. one pet peeve. Followed by two things that you're really thankful for.
3: <laughs> we should have started. It's got to be a sandwich. A one thing. Sandwich. Thankfulness, okay. pet peeve, thankful.
2: That's good. Thankful okay, that's sandwich. good. That's good. I like that. All right. My pet peeve. So I'm really particular about my name. Okay. So my name is spelled M-A-R-C. I'm one of the 2% of marks in this world that spells their name correctly. <laughs> it was the percentage too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I never forget another mark that spells their name with a C. I um, always remember them. But uh, I can't stand when people spell my name incorrectly or they call me something other than Mark. <laughs> so my full name is just Mark Flores. It's not Marcus or Marcos or, or Mark and Anthony or anything like that. It's just Mark Flores. I don't have a middle name. And so it really annoys me when people either spell my name with a K, when they uh, call me Marcus or Marco or something other than Mark. Um, and it weirdly annoys me more when it's somebody who doesn't know versus somebody who does know like if someone's just like messing around like it annoys me but if it's somebody who like doesn't know me and they like assume that it's like Marcus or something i get really mad i don't mm. i don't know why and that's one of the i was going to say it's one of the only things i'm particular about but i'm i'm particular <laughs> yeah, yeah. about a lot of things
3: <laughs> <laughs> we'll make sure and spell your name right we put it on the you yeah, know post it yeah okay yeah that's uh, good to know.
2: yeah so that's that's my biggest pet peeve and two things i'm thankful for um I got to spend some time um, out of the country with a group of friends uh, over the last week and uh, was just sitting and thinking and realizing that I have never been more content and satisfied with the people that I have in my life than I do, than I am Mm -hmm. right now. Um, I have a great group of friends who love Jesus, who are being obedient to what the Lord is asking them to do in their lives right now. Uh, and they Hebrews 10 spur me on to that same love and good works that they're, that they're doing as well. So I've never, um, I've never been more satisfied with the group of people I have in my life than I do right now, I, than I am right now. Mm, um, sorry. and so that's the first thing I'm thankful for. The second thing I'm thankful for, uh, man, I got to go to Whataburger for the first time <laughs> in a couple of weeks, uh, this yeah, morning yesterday. actually for, just kidding. <laughs> no, it was for, it was for, Oh, was it yesterday, two days before? But yeah, I uh after eating a lot of good Costa Rican food, I really wanted some Whataburger. So I was thankful for that as well. Fair. That's fair.
3: That's good. Well I'm gonna give you that thankfulness sandwich. Um this morning, I was very thankful that I got to cuddle my wife for a few minutes before we went off to work. That was a good, huge blessing. Uh, my biggest pet peeve, um, do not ever write on me with a pen or marker or anything. I will hit you, right? <laughs> Fair <laughs> warning. No, as a kid, like they say that, my mom's like, yeah, I took it into preschool and the teacher's were like, hey, so your son someone put a, put his hand in the paint. He, so we didn't have the handprints for you today. Like I never gave mom handprints, never did anything. Hate to get in the mud. I just hate things on my skin that shouldn't be there. So I would never get a tattoo because of that. That's so what I was gonna um, ask. <laughs> so people, like are writing on their hands like let me take the notes in the back of my hands
2: and I'm just yeah. over here like gag reflexing basically just grosses me out and I just would never do it have you seen the tattoos that I don't know what the name of the company is but uh they're tattoos that are designed to help you memorize scripture and so it's the first letter of every word in a particular verse that's how my wife memorizes scripture not on yeah. her hand but on the back of her phone she yeah. writes it out and this looks at it it's really cool yeah I had a friend in college who would write that out on her hand or her arm, or whatever, but they're doing tattoos now. Dang, I um, have yeah. another friend who who does that. Yeah, I'm out, way out. <laughs> well, Once you
1: memorize the verse, yeah, you don't need that. Yeah, yeah that's well, it's, a, it's a temporary tattoo. Okay, oh, gotcha. yeah. <laughs> I should, I should have premised that. <laughs> it's like
2: I have it down in seven days. Now I'm yeah. good forever. <laughs> why do yeah. I have this? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's funny. I guess the Bible says sir, have the word of God written on your heart, not on your skin. So. The-
1: Facts. If, if facts. you ever want to memorize John eleven thirty five, just put a JW right there on the J- JW, <laughs> JW. I like that.
3: almost sounds like George Washington, but you know. I was thinking
2: Jehovah's <laughs> <laughs>
3: Okay, gotcha. Um, and then the other thing I'm thankful for this week is I got to start a new small group at church, which is super cool. Uh, newly married couples, actually. Um, it's about six couples, one leader couple who's leading me, my wife, and a bunch of other stuff. So, like, that's that. Uh, 10 new
1: friends. Super pumped about that. And we can do life together for the next, like, two years. That's
2: nice. awesome.
1: Yeah. One thing I'm thankful for, like Mark, I have a lot of great people in my life. A lot of great friends that are all following Jesus, or most of them are following Jesus. And it's a huge blessing to be around them just because last year when I was uh, in Baton Rouge, I didn't really have that community around me, especially, you know, coming out of graduating undergrad. That was a really difficult transition. But now I'm in a place here in Dallas where I've got all these amazing godly people around me. So that's a huge blessing. Pet peeve. Absolutely cannot stand when two people on the highway are driving the same speed and I'm stuck behind them <laughs> Or like it's, all the lanes are like that. Yeah drives me up a wall It's gonna put me in insane especially when two trucks Like <laughs> yeah. two big rigs drive at the same Or it takes one of them five minutes to pass the other one. Yeah.
2: And then you have like a line of 30 cars yes. behind the one big rig trying to get around them both
1: It's kind of amazing how two trucks can back up traffic for like a mile. Yeah, it's kind of wild Another thing I'm thankful for I have great parents talk about them on the podcast a lot. I have great parents Mm. No.
3: Dang, that's good. Well, guys, challenge for you today when you listen to this podcast is go ask the person and even when you interact with, what are you thankful for today? No. All right. Get their mindset uh, thinking about what God has blessed them with, what's going on, what's good in their life instead of the negatives around them. All right, guys, let's get started on some content today. Um, we're in the seasons of, uh, talking about seasons of life um, and looking at how those relate to hope. And so this week we're talking about success versus failure. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. Success. All right. What's the
1: fine? What is success, guys? Let's talk about it. Success is a peace of mind that is a direct result of a self-satisfaction knowing that you did your best to be the best you were capable of becoming. Where did you, like, how long have you been working on that for? My dad used to, whenever I was like three and four, most parents would like read children's books. My dad would read me John Wooden's biography. And he made me. (laughs) That's that's John Wooden's. legend. That's John Wooden's definition of success. And so I had to recite that every night before i went to bed for years growing up and so that's why it just popped from, into my head from
2: everything you've told me about your dad that doesn't surprise me at all yeah dang not at all.
1: Yeah. all right well let's
3: not use that okay you, that's great that's <laughs> that's the cop answer what else we got i, I mean i guess in Dude, I, no, I make money that's how i define success okay that's what yeah. we're going with i that's,
1: make money that's a tough definition because i mean you look back we were talking about this before that we started recording if you look back in any season of your life there are good and bad things. And if you have the right perspective, you can view any season of your life as a success or a failure. Really, it depends on, on how you want to look at that season. I mean, if you make a lot of money in one year, but you lose all of your friends, I would not consider that a success personally.
3: So what yeah. would you define for yourself as a successful year? So you're looking back or successful time frame? You're like, you're looking back at a period of time, let's say three months. How would you define that as a success in your own life? Looking at things, that's the question.
1: If I could look myself in the mirror on a daily basis and say, I gave everything I had today. And I was better today than I was yesterday. I consider that a success. Okay.
2: Yeah. What about you, Mark? I would say, for me personally, if I, you know, defining success over a specific time frame, if I look more like Jesus at the end of that period of time than I did prior to it, no matter what happened, I would define that as a success, regardless of what worldly circumstances may have taken place during that frame of time. If I've been more conformed to the image of Christ, then mm-hmm. I would define that as as a success and. Um also in that, was I faithful and obedient to what the Lord was asking me to do um during that period of time as well, which I don't think I think I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Is is that am I using that correctly? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um I don't think you can, you know, look more like Jesus without being obedient to what God is asking you to do. So I think those two things are tied together very intently. Yes.
1: I remember when I was a couple of years ago, I was sitting in church and I was listening to a sermon and the guy was talking about faith is a daily process. And he said, you have no idea what God can set into motion in your life with one act of obedience. And so mm-hmm. I thought that was a pretty good thing. So I wrote that on an index card, put it on the dashboard in my truck. It was there for two years. Yeah. And when I look back on those two years, I think I, I don't think I ever grew at a more, at a higher rate than yeah. I did in those two years, yeah. you know, just by constantly reminding myself.
2: Yeah. Obedience has been one of the big words of the year for me this year, okay. learning to be Um, to be obedient. And I know that's not the, that's not the topic we're talking about, but I think it's, it's really tied to success, at least in my uh, frame of mind and with obedience for, for those of us who grew up or, or in evangelical circles right now um, that, that word can at least previously for me kind of put a bad taste in my mouth. Mm. Uh, It it, it reminded me of legalism and do this, do that. um, So you improve your standing with God so that God will love you more. And I, I, don't think that, I, I know 100% that obedience and grace are not, are, are, that they are 100% compatible. Um, obedience does not make God love us any more or any less. Um, obedience is for our benefit, not for God's. Um, obedience, uh, we experience fullness of joy. We experience uh, you know, everything that God made us to be through obedience to him. Uh, We see the fruits of our labor and ministry. We see increasing fruits of the Spirit in our own life uh, through obedience to what God uh, is telling us to do. It does not change our standing in God's eyes. We don't earn any more or any less salvation points um, because of our obedience, but we see more benefit in our own lives um, from our obedience to God. So um, I've been really thankful for People who have been impressing that on me in the last uh, Mm -hmm. few months, and uh, I've experienced more more joy and the other fruits of the spirit in the last three or four months, and being more obedient than I have, um, you know, and at any point in my life. And so I would I would define the last three to four months as a very um, successful season for me Mm -hmm. because of that.
3: Amen. Yeah, I say the the Christian really good Christian definition is being obedient and faithful to God and what He's called you to do. Right, is when we when have his word, we know what we're called to do as Christians to go, therefore, make disciples. We know how we're supposed to follow him, to love God with all our heart, to love our neighbors, ourselves. And when we're doing those things, yeah. that's what our definition of success should look like. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I wrote down personally recently in success is I said, the personal impact I have on people. Yeah. Right, because I, while I'm being obedient and faithful to God, he's called me to go love people well. And if I'm impacting people, man, I'm being successful, what he's called me to do. No. Yeah. Right. But the flip side is we look at, um, we'll say the opposite of that is what the rest of the world would call success. What is that? right? Because what would you say the world calls success?
1: Money, money, power, notoriety. Okay, Um, I immediately think of the rich young ruler who we've talked about on this podcast before, but he's such a fascinating character because he comes up to Jesus. He's got everything going for him. He's rich, he's young, he's in charge and everyone wants to be him. And he comes up to Jesus and he says, he tells Jesus he wants to follow him. So Jesus says, okay, if you want to follow me, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and let's go. And the guy, he didn't want to do it, and he walked away sad because he, he loved his stuff more than he loved the idea of following Jesus. Yeah. And that, that to me, is a failure because even though he was in charge and in even though he was, he was a rich, young ruler in his day, really in, in our 21st century context, I mean, what does that matter? Um, he's dead. He's dead. He's, mean, been, he's been dead 2000, for 2,000 years. We don't even know his name. He's yeah, literally, a literally, the rich, young, young ruler. Young ruler. Yeah. The poorest people in the world have a better quality of life than that guy did. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, he was not—he could have— if he'd have followed Jesus, he could be a guy that we name our children after today. Yeah. Nicodemus. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, like so he,
3: name my kid Nick, you know? He could have <laughs> been
1: he could have been a legend and yeah. he could have made just this internal eternal impact on the world, but he, he loved his stuff more than he loved the idea of following Jesus and he paid the price for that. That that scene in the chosen, I think it's episode seven or eight of
2: season one. Uh, when Nicodemus is sorry, Spoil- spoiler spoiler, spoiler, yeah. spoiler, spoiler alert for this I like, My wife literally
3: has not seen this episode. We've finished this I've I've watched all first season, waiting for her to finish it. Yeah. She's on episode
2: eight yeah. right now. I need to catch up on the last couple of yeah. season two, but um yeah, spoiler spoiler alert. Fast just, forward just like just a hit minute. the
1: Just hit the fifteen second <laughs> yeah. fast yeah, forward yeah, thing yeah. on yeah. Spotify.
2: Yeah. Um it's Jesus, and it's like seven or eight of the disciples, and they're getting ready to go to uh, to Samaria. And the night before was uh, like a retelling of John three, Nicodemus and Jesus on the roof, uh, where Jesus tells Nicodemus to follow him. Um, and you can tell in the interim that Nicodemus is really considering this, but um, he's part of the religious elite; he's super respected among all the Jewish people, um, and he decides not to go. But Jesus and his followers meet at this—it's uh, like a, a fountain—and Nicodemus is like hiding behind the uh, behind a pillar, and you see him like crying because he knows that he's not going to go with Jesus, but he left him like this bag of gold. And one of the disciples can't remember who it is says that this is enough to like um, to. Buy them food for like the next couple of weeks on their journey. And Jesus like turns and looks at the pillar where Nicodemus is standing. He can't see Nicodemus, but he knows he's there. And he says, You came so close. And that scene, I watched it. I watched that episode about three months ago. Like hearing Jesus say, You came so close, like I was just so fearful. I was like, I don't want Jesus to say that about me. Like I was assured of my salvation. I mm-hmm. knew that I was justified before God. I was going to be with him in heaven. Uh, but I did not want. Jesus said about me in my obedience to uh, the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations um, I would say that 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 scene um, did so much to uh, Spur me on to obedience and just everything that I've seen the fruit of ministry in the last uh, few months than Anything else and that's kind of a tangent, but that that, that, that scene just affected me so much
1: It kind of reminds me of that quote that you mentioned before we when we were meeting earlier where you said I don't feel fa- I don't fear failure what was the rest of that? It's uh, my greatest fear is not
3: a failure, mm-hmm. but of being successful at something that doesn't really matter. Yeah. No. Right. And so it's the idea of like, man, I, I'm, Probably we got, got to give us talents, gifts, and abilities. We're going to be successful in something, yeah. right? I, I ultimately, failure reached like, hey, it's a mistake. I'm going to learn and grow from it, right? But it's spending my entire life on something that doesn't really matter. And ultimately, in eternity or even at the end, because you're like, yeah. oh, I built all this, but I'm going to die. Or, oh, I have millions of dollars, but no family to love or no friends. Yeah. What are you going to do with it all, yeah. right? Going,
2: going back to the rich young ruler, that is a a passage of scripture that I like to read with guys before they've made a decision to follow Jesus uh, It's usually the last Passage I'll read with them before I like Ask them like to make a decision and mm. I read it with them because I want to give them a warning I want them to count the costs. I know there's another passage where Jesus literally says to count the costs um, I, re- I read it a couple of days ago. I-, I can't remember what it is uh, but I Want them to understand what they're giving up um, even if they're not this rich young ruler type um they're being asked to give up everything. I ask them to think about um their greatest desires in life, their the goals they've been working towards um since they were little kids and uh, the things that would make them happy in this world. And I say, are you willing to give these things up for Jesus? Right? Are you willing to give it all up? And I'm very explicit with them about like Jesus is asking you like for me like I, I read that with a guy a, a couple of months ago and I came out of that And I was asking myself like what are the things that I've worked for my entire life? What are the things that I desire in this earth? It's a good paying job. It's a wife kids house in the suburbs Sounds I'll like be, success. Yeah, the American dream it's American dream. Yeah, which is that, American success. Yeah That's my worldly definition of success is the American dream and I asked myself am I willing to give up the American dream for Jesus? Mm. Uh, and in that moment I wasn't and i would ask God like, God take it away from me, take away the American dream, take away um, everything that takes my eyes off of you. I don't think, I I think we should all be willing to give that up. I don't think God will take it away from everybody. If you tell God, hey, I'm surrendering all to you, he's not gonna take everything. He may, but for most people, he's not gonna take everything. And so for most people, I don't think they necessarily have to, that they're going to give it up. They have to be willing to give it up. But for me personally, I am beginning to think that I can't have the American dream and still faithfully follow Jesus because Mm -hmm. that's gonna be my God and Jesus won't Um, So it's a great passage uh, The rich young ruler to go over with somebody right before they're about to make a decision of faith Just to give them a warning and say hey, this is what you're being asked to give up Are you really willing to do that because what Jesus offers is? infinitely more valuable and infinitely more Life-giving than anything else in this world.
3: Yeah, it makes me think this word I was reading about in the commentary this morning And I think it's called surfeit or surfite, s-u-r-f-e-i-t don't know how to pronounce it um, But basically it's the idea that we I don't desire anything else no more of anything or something because I have it in front of me I have had an excess of something yeah. else right so it's the opposite of saying that I have satisfaction in Christ No, yeah. I have surfeit or surfeit of the yeah. world so if I don't desire anything else Yeah, right. I have I have this success in American standards. Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm good I don't need anything else when really that's not a deep deep satisfaction It's just I'm filled up enough where I don't really desire anything else
2: Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not I want to be clear that I'm not there yet. Yeah, I've been yeah, you're not God. there yet Yeah, I've been asking God for the last three months like Lord Change my heart take this take this desire away from me. And if I can't have it then I don't want it um, But it's still an ongoing an ongoing process for me, and I still I Still want it more than I don't want it right mm. um, So yeah, I'm by no means like to that point he's no, Still he's still pruning me. He's still refining me and you know God willing. I'll I'll, I'll get there one day.
1: Same for me too. I mean, I am, I identify with the rich young ruler a lot of times. I mean, I, you know, it's very difficult, even though I've made a decision to follow Christ and I know that Jesus is Lord, it still is difficult on a daily basis to come to that realization that if, if God called me to be homeless tomorrow, would I be willing to do it? And some days I can say yes, some days I can't say yes. And it's just, it's a daily struggle. So, I mean, yeah, we're all, we, we love to read the Bible and think that we're the good guy. We are not the good guy. No, and I I can identify with Pharaoh much more than I can identify with Moses
2: I never I can never read the Gospels without Reading myself into the Pharisees being impacted by it again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like I I am the Pharisees to a to a T. <laughs>
3: it gets easy to get caught up, get caught up in it. we're in America, right? Yeah. So since the age of you know four or five, like, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And your parents like, oh no, but no, you you can't do that. It's actually <laughs> you need to be a doctor, an astronaut, or something that makes that they don't say it but makes a lot of money, yeah. right? I even see uh, my wife's a nanny. Um, and just kind of like look at the same thing with those kids. You always want something better for your kids So you're like, oh no, you should do X Y and Z. She's that in kids You know yeah. my nieces and nephews like right? same thing you desire something greater for them as so we get this American dream Since we're a kid is like oh we got to be a little better than our parents Got to make a little bit more money got to do this got to do that We've been instilled this habit-, habit this habitual thinking of oh, that's what success is yeah. right yeah. versus man If we were to find success as a to Christ since a kid man, we'd be in a different situation But 100%. that's just like a game-changer
1: and it's kind of interesting that you mentioned that because we're talking about success and failure and you mentioned the Pharisees. Well, the Pharisees really fit into both of those categories yeah. because they were they were pretty towards the top of that hierarchy back in the first century. Yeah. They were they in charge. Had they had a lot of money, but they missed it. They had studied. Yeah. It's kind of wild. You read Isaiah 53. And I don't know if we've talked about this before, but you read Isaiah 53 and it's a prophecy about the coming Messiah. And it is blatantly obvious that Isaiah is talking about Jesus. It's just blatantly obvious. And the Pharisees who would have known that passage by heart are looking Jesus in the face and they missed it. They couldn't connect the dots because they were so attached to their own status and their own success that they failed and they didn't get to be, they didn't get to enjoy the presence of Christ. In fact, they actively tried to destroy the presence of Christ and they, they missed it. They had the position of
3: power. They did not want to give up because they were in the hierarchy in Israel. Obviously, the Roman was above them, but even then, the Romans always came to those leaders and said, "Hey, take care of your people. right? You're the Jewish priest. You got to do this." Yeah. Um, and Jesus changes things up because when he came, I remember I love in Luke five where it's him calling Matthew. He says, "Follow me," and it says, "Leaving everything, Matthew got up and followed him." Yep. Right, And that's what I think is the definition of success is, as a Christian is getting up, leaving everything. Right, And it's a ba- it's a constant battle. You're like, man, God, can I just go back to that? Can I pick that one thing up? What yeah. about this? Can I take like my wife with me, these things? And he's like, no, everything, follow me, and I'll give you something so much greater.
1: Yeah. Can I just read Isaiah 53 just yep. to put that in context? It. Okay. It says, he was despised and rejected by men. Yep. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Yep. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God. The Pharisees consider, or accused him of blasphemy. But he was pierced for our transgressions. They hit him with a spear. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. He died for our sins. That's, this is me just adding context. Yeah. And he was, by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. You see that in his trial. He didn't say a word when they accused him. He was led like a lamb to slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. Mm. The Pharisees would have known that by heart, and yet when it was happening in front of their eyes, they just missed it because they didn't want to give up their status, and they didn't want to give up their power. And it's very dangerous when we get to a point where, you know, if we don't all have the wisdom that Mark does and we don't get to a point where say, or we, we, we never get to that point that you have where you said, I don't want this to be my God, please take it away from me. If we don't have that wisdom in our lives, and we are not willing to ask God to take away the things that would distract us from him, we could end up like the Pharisees, and that is a very terrifying thing to think about. Mm. So that makes them a failure? I would say in the eternal context, yes. Ooh.
3: So in the, direct, in, the, in the way of eternity, as Christians, we're changing things up. We're saying, hey, we look at eternity, not our small little seasons here on yes,
1: this earth. 100%.
3: All right, so in the weight of eternity, we're looking at a failure is not obediently following Christ, not giving up everything for him. Yes.
1: Dang. I mean, James says life is like a vapor. So who yep. cares if it's a really cool vapor? It's gonna going to be gone.
2: Did you see my vape, dude? It was like purple. It was cool. <laughs> we yeah. get it, bro. You vape. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I've actually never vaped. Uh, neither have I. The, like, I'm talking about like a vapor Coconut. I know what you're saying. Okay. But the thing, when people vape, you may smell it, you may see it for a moment, yeah. and then it's gone. This is the same exact thing, right? I mean, it's very good context, especially today. People vape all the time, and you're like, oh, I can smell it. Oh, it's gone. That's what life is. It's, oh, I can smell it. I can see it. I can taste it. Oh, it's gone. Yeah. That's what we're trying to look at there. Yeah. Mm. And just for, for you guys, if you want to read the um, parable of the rich young ruler, not the parable, with the interaction there, Matthew 19, Matthew 19, verse 16 through the end.
1: The optimist to me thinks that, or I would like to believe that that dude went on to become just a faithful missionary for Christ. That's the <laughs> optimist to me. I don't know. We can never know. It's, he's not even named, which is wild because he's this important person, but I wouldn't even mention his name. I just, I just think that's so wild. So yeah. I hope, you know, pray that that dude turned it around, but, uh, yeah. you know, you never know. In, in Luke
2: 10, uh, Jesus gives a—he he sends out 72 disciples to go into the land and prepare the way in front of him, and he um, gives them pretty clear instructions of what to bring and what not to bring. Starting in verse 3, he says, Now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals, and don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Um, I think it's Matthew 9 and Matthew 10 kind of parallel this passage as well, both with the 72 and with the, with the 12, but he tells them not to bring a lot uh, with them. And I, I think about me, if I was being sent out, you know, if I was going you know, to a foreign land to, to make disciples, I'd have a packing list probably as, as long as this table. Uh, of things to bring. Um, but Jesus is saying, no, don't worry about those things. I'm going to provide for you. And he goes on later in verse starting verse five, he says, when you enter someone's home for say, may God's peace be upon this house. If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they are not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home, stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. He's, he's telling them like, if you find that person of peace, that, uh, is going to listen to the message like that person is going to provide for you um, and you know, he's going to provide for you um through through those people. So not to worry um, You know about the things that you're bringing bringing with you uh, as you go on in your mission to um, To build the kingdom and that's a hard that's a hard thing um, to accept because I have a lot of stuff and mm-hmm. I like my stuff um, And the idea that if God called me to go somewhere else that I'd have to sell all of that and um, give away a lot of it and only have just a small amount to take with me like that. I don't, I don't like that thought. <laughs> I don't like that thought very much. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, it's another thing too. You were talking about people that provide for the disciples and yeah. who, who allow that, who meet their material needs so that they could spread the gospel. You know, who prov- was one of the biggest financial providers to Jesus's ministry? Who was that? Mary Magdalene. Mm-hmm. What did she do for a living? Prostitute. She was a prostitute. Dang. And so,
3: like, using like, sinner's money.
1: Yeah. And so in that in the first century culture, it was they treated women as second-class citizens It was even worse if you were a freaking prostitute and yeah, yet yeah. Jesus looked at her who would have been at the bottom of the totem pole and said I Am I have blessed you with all this money and I'm gonna take it I'm gonna I'm gonna allow you to give it to me Say so you can finance this ministry any of a prostitute of a woman that was at the bottom of the totem pole Who would have been seen as a failure and yet? She has had this eternal impact on the world because she financed Jesus's ministry and she helped them go town to town and spread the gospel. If you kind of go back and I, you know, you can never know for sure, but you can assume that all the people that heard the gospel from Jesus of those that heard it and, and were saved, they turn around and they share the gospel with others. And then mm-hmm. just kind of this, this chain has gone on and on for 2000 years. I wonder how many people in the world today are Christians because they heard the gospel, you know, from a person who heard it from a person who heard it from all the way back all to the them. first century. All of them. <laughs> yeah. Like because of Mary Magdalene. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
2: He, he didn't let her stay in her sin. He, Called her out of it. I always think about the, um, I think it's is it Mark eight or Luke eight when um the or maybe it's John eight the it's, it's something eight um, yeah. the, the casting the first stone um, yeah. passage the woman caught in adultery. Um, what I love about that passage is that Jesus didn't condemn her, mm-hmm. but he also didn't let her stay in her sin. No. He said, "I don't judge you," but he called her out of her sin. He didn't let her stay there, and it's the same thing for for Mary. Um, he didn't let her stay where she was at, uh, but he used um, her financial means, or she used her financial means um, to provide for the the mission of the kingdom.
1: She went all in. You know, yeah. it's, you know, it's interesting about that, the, the he was without saying, cast the first stone. Mm-hmm. It's not, you can't prove it because it's not written down, but mm-hmm. a lot of scholars believe. So in that story, Jesus, he bends down, he starts writing in the dirt. Mm-hmm. Only sermon he ever wrote down, right? He's writing in the dirt. Yeah. And then he stands up and then he says, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. Some scholars believe that he was writing down the names of the women that all of the Pharisees had <sighs> had affairs with.
2: <laughs>
1: Again, there's no way to prove that because it's not in scripture, but Dang. that's just what some, some scholars said. And that's why they walked away one by one yeah. embarrassed because yeah. he was calling them out.
2: We'll see what our boy Dallas puts on the chosen when they get there. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's what he'll put there.
1: Yeah, we'll see what
3: happens. I'm kind of curious about that. Um, so, just fun fact on that one. Just a side note. We'll talk about this later. Dive into it, but that is not in the earliest manuscripts. Mm-hmm. So it's yep. most likely added in later. There's always um, a note there that says. There's, it's there's on a note. The so there's, there's, there's about three yeah. three passages in the New Testament. They're not in the earliest manuscripts. Mm-hmm. Um, so technically, we should take that out of our Bibles. Technically, that he wrote down. No, the fact that that entire story yeah. was was not. It's not in the other manuscripts. Really? So yeah. it's yeah. like the first
2: nine verses of that. It's uh, the first
3: nine verses of that, that, that chapter are not in there. So the entire interaction. Um, so a lot of scholars, so even my professor and my you know my Greek professor would say, hey, we should take this out. But the reason it's in there is because publishers want it in there, mm-hmm. and it's been around in the church for so long that we keep it in there. That's but, interesting. Yeah. So I always say that like the grain of salt. It doesn't really matter what Jesus wrote in the saying because it might. And it, this interaction might have happened. It was just yeah. added in later. We don't know for sure on those yeah. things, but it's not in the earliest manuscripts. What was that? That's good oh, to know. I have a question though um, for you guys. How would you say to someone who's either not a Christian? Um, or someone who is a Christian who's helping their friends out is we're looking at this person does not, man, but I'm just finding success in this world. I really don't want to give these things up. Like the rich young ruler, what is your advice or what is your encouragement to them?
1: Um, Maybe this wouldn't be the most encouraging thing to say, but I would probably say that is hilarious that you think that you have the power to decide whether you can give up the success that you have as if you're in control. Um, I'm reading through Exodus right now, and um, it's fascinating listening to... Pharaoh negotiate with God through Moses Mm -hmm. as if he's in control and he's not. And, um, I think that the, the best thing that you can tell them is, is, you know, lovingly say you are not sovereign in this world. God is, he created you for a specific purpose and it's not to accumulate wealth. Um, your purpose is to know God and to make him known to others. And when it comes to knowing God, that means having this or or having this moment where you, you realize that Jesus is Lord, he's your savior. And I want to now live to serve him. Um, I can't pay for my own sin because he did that for me. And because of that, I want to live out the gospel that he has graciously given to me, um, the salvation that he's freely given to me. And so, yeah.
3: Um, I always point, I always go to the end of life. You know, at the end of life, when you're in a deathbed, or when you're close to it, looking back, is this ultimately what's going to bring, I mean, is this success for your entire life? You look at that and you say, oh man, I mean, I mean, millions of dollars, X, Y, and Z happened and you're going to find your success in that. But and then also look at the gates of heaven and point him towards that. So I always go there. It's like, hey, at the end of life, is this what you want to define success? Okay, that's cool if you want to. We can talk more about it later. That's a you better know? answer, I think. That's, that's a, where I go. What <laughs> not better? That's a better answer.
2: I think the answer I'd give them is it's a Sunday school answer. Jesus is better. Jesus, I mean, Jesus is better. <laughs> Jesus is better. No, it, it, he really is. He, the, the fulfillment, the love, the fact that you're known personally by. All powerful, all present, all knowing God. He satisfies Mm. nothing else. Nobody else does. Um, I don't know if I would, I don't think I'm old enough yet to say that I've had a successful life. I think Mm. I've done a lot of things successful. I've gotten to um, experience some pretty fun things in life. But at the end of the day, when I go home and I lay down in my bed, Um Those things don't satisfy i'm always thinking about what's what's the next thing you know What's the next thing i go to it was actually it's funny i was talking to Neville about this a few weeks ago and i told him that i'm Very i i'm never really in the moment i'm always thinking about the next thing um, that I'm going to. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm at lunch with somebody, I'm thinking about what I have to work on next. When I'm at work, I'm thinking about getting off of work and going to dinner. When I'm at dinner, I'm thinking about going to sleep. Like I, I never stay in, in the moment, the present. Yeah. Um, I don't think everybody's like that. Has, A lot of Americans way. are. Yeah, yeah. Not maybe not to the extreme that I am, but it's telling that nothing satisfies. Yeah. Right. Solomon even says that I think in, in Ecclesiastes
1: um that it's all he definitely says it, it's it's all vanity but um and to put that in perspective Solomon got after mm-hmm. it if you he think did. if you think you party hard if you think <laughs> that you're rich you don't come close to Solomon yeah the dude is wild <laughs> um but yeah if if
2: he wasn't satisfied then whatever it is you're chasing after isn't going to satisfy you either and you know they may not listen to me they probably won't but um, at some point in everybody's life, they're going to hit a wall and realize that everything they worked for is just what Solomon said was was vanity. It may be on their deathbed, um, God willing, it'll be at a time where they're able to make a decision to place their faith in Jesus. And Jesus is the only one who has never let me down. And he never will let me down. Everything else, everybody else, will let me down. They're. I have great people in my life. I have a lot of good things in my life. Um, I'm thankful to God for those people and for those things, but they're all going to let me down. And similarly, I'm going to let them down too. Um, Uh, but Jesus didn't let anybody down.
1: We, um, earlier we talked about the rich young ruler and how he missed it, but there was another rich man that met Jesus and he didn't miss it. He got it right. And that was Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, which back in the day, it's not like you were an IRS agent because back in the day they would, overcharged. So if you owed 10 grand, they would come to you and they say you owe 20 grand and then they'd pocket the difference. And so these guys, they made a pretty Wait, good that's
3: living. What, that that's what the IRS does too, right? They <laughs> yeah. pocket the difference. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. I don't
1: know. I don't know. I'm
3: We're under, not going to tell you how much under taxes I'm under audit. Just pay us money. We're not going to tell you how much you owe, but pay
1: us. Yeah, it has to be right. We know. Or you go to jail. Yeah. yeah. Or you go to jail. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so Zacchaeus, he was also loaded. And when Jesus asked him to follow him, he did it. And Jesus ate at his house, and he was Zacchaeus was overjoyed. He wanted nothing more than to be around Jesus, and he didn't miss it. So it's not just, it's not, a lot of times people read the Gospels, and they read the story of the rich young ruler, and they they read the verse where it says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And they think rich people are screwed regardless of what they do, and that's not the case. It's a hard issue. Not at all. It's a hard issue. If If your stuff owns you, then you have a problem. It doesn't matter how little or how much you have. If your stuff owns you rather than the other way around, you have a problem. But if you're at a point where you can say, if God asked me to give up everything that I have, I'm going to do it. No problem. Then you're good. It doesn't matter how much money you have. If you're willing to sacrifice it for Christ, you are in a good spot. Yeah, I just the point of that example with the camel and the needles is say it's impossible
3: for man. It's but, impossible for a rich man mm-hmm. without God intervening in his life to make it happen. Yeah, with um, man this is impossible. With, with God, all things are possible. Yeah, she, quote Jesus, it. Jesus says it. Quote it. Quote it. <laughs> um, also think about. I mean, I think the question there when you ask someone or ask yourself if you're not willing is like, when is enough enough? That's what yeah. I'm getting from Mark's story. When will enough be enough? And for most people, they say, oh, when I have a million dollars or when I make X, Y, Z salary. But look back at the past in your own life, and you'll see that I got there. To That first whatever it was a graduated college thought it wasn't enough and it's not enough. It's actually never sat- satiates it never satisfies uh, And so my challenge to the people who are struggling with that is go read Ecclesiastes We're talking about Solomon who in today's money had over a trillion dollars um, That's a lot of money like and it was just gold. It wasn't just like this. Oh, it's just in the stock market like intangible No, it's literally tangible gold silver coins all this above and wealth read Ecclesiastes read his life and then look at that and say wow the richest man who ever lived, the wisest man who ever lived, still said it wasn't enough.
2: There's a there's a quote from uh, John D. Rockefeller, who was one of the richest Americans to ever live. Somebody asked him, um, how much money is enough money? And his answer was, just a little bit more.
3: Yeah. I heard someone else say, one more dollar. Yep. How much is enough? One more dollar. One, one, one more dollar.
1: One, one, so one. that same billionaire that said that quote, I'm not going to say who he is, but the same billionaire that had that quote in his autobiography, he said, I love money because it's a great way to keep score. I don't really care about it's not as much about the income It's about knowing that I make more money than the other guy <laughs> the, comparison, and the so comparison it doesn't matter yeah. if that dude's a billionaire living in Manhattan at the top of a tower it, And he has two planes and a yacht It doesn't matter because if that guy's got two planes and two yachts, then it's not enough. Yeah. He's got you know There's always going to be There's always going to be someone with more money than you and if you compare yourself to that person And if your satisfaction is having more money than the next guy you will be in an eternal struggle Okay. Just misery because there's only one Jeff Bezos.
2: Yeah for people our age um, I think comparing our level of success to mm-hmm. other people's levels of success is uh, It's not healthy for anybody, but I, I think Social media makes it really easy to do that and to slip down uh, to to go down that that slippery slide of looking at the Okay, let me look at the vacation that I went on. Oh, this person went there for their vacation. Here's how much money I'm making in, in, in my role. This is the kind of vehicle I drive, but my friend, same age, drives this sort of vehicle, right? Um, thinking that this person is more successful. And yet um, they have
3: forty k in debt. Yeah, in a car
2: exactly. Oh, at least exactly. Your boy's still driving his two thousand one Tacoma with on. two hundred and fifty nine thousand miles on it. Zero debt. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Own <Owning> that thing. <laughs> Love that. Man, that's good. I was just
3: gonna. I was gonna ask the question. Um, you know, what would you say to a Christian or someone who knows Christ, but yet is struggling that season where they're not finding success? They're thinking, "Man, I'm a failure." You basically answered it. It's basically stop comparing. Yep. Because that's, that's where we find our failures at is like, oh, I'm comparing to my, my friends at church and my friends I see. Mm-hmm. And they have this car and this house and they're married. And all of a sudden you're like, I'm a failure. And it's like, no, if you're giving your best right now to
2: God and you're being faithful yep. to him, you are being, you are successful. Yep. And you may not see the fruit of that in this life, but you're going to experience eternal joy um, in the next
1: life. mm yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I because I I come from a finance and accounting background, so I always think about it just mathematically, like an investment. I mean, yeah. it, you a, in the in the world today, a twenty percent return on investment year over year is amazing. That's unheard of. Well, yeah. an investment in your time for the Lord and following the Lord that's an infinite percentage mm-hmm. return on investment because anything yeah. that you get in this life doesn't even compare. In Romans eight, it says to the glory that we will reap. Yep. Um, mm. And so it just think about if you if you want to think about it objectively, and in terms of dollars and cents, just think about pure return on investment. Anything you do in this life is going to die with you, but anything that you do for the kingdom of God is going to live forever. And that's a much better return on your time, on your energy, and on your money than it is on anything you do here. Do
2: you have a passage, Andrew? Um, I'm trying to find it, but you can keep, you can keep talking.
1: I had a, a question for you. Yeah, go if ahead. If have enough time to answer yeah, this
3: Yeah, let's, let's make this our
2: last question. Yeah. How would you define success in ministry? That's
1: a really good question.
3: So I think of like Isaiah chapter six, we see that when God says, who, who shall I send? Who shall go for me? And as says, send me. Right. And that, that's kind of, that's the question. The first part of success is willingness. Yes, Lord, send me. And then the second part of that is being faithful wherever you're at. I was talking to somebody about it yesterday. He's going to preach in front of about 40 or 50 people, a couple weekends out in Oklahoma. And this guy, it's a small church, small town, guys in the pastor there for like 45, 50 years. Right. And and that is God's calling on his life, is to be a faithful pastor of that congregation to lead them well in that small town. And he has been obedient and success in his ministry there. The thing we get caught up is we think of size, butts and seat, and we start comparing the ministries in America and elsewhere, and ministry in general, to other things. Oh, well, we got more business, you know? Okay, we're being successful. Yeah. We got more followers. We're being successful. When, when really it's, I would say, making disciples, actually faithful to followers of Christ, as you say in Matthew. Matthew twenty eight. There, people are willing to follow Christ and give their life for Him, and who define their success on being obedient to Christ. When you make disciples like that,
1: that's a successful ministry. Yeah. I mean, Joel Osteen's got to, He get packs of church with eighty thousand people. That dude's <laughs> yeah. not getting it right. So, I mean, it's not. It's not about. It's not a matter of just pure numbers because there are plenty of people with big churches that aren't sharing the gospel and they are missing a huge opportunity to point people to Christ. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's not about numbers. And if you're not called to vocational ministry, I'm, I don't think that I am. Not all of us are. Um, vocational ministry <clears throat> means you work for a church and are a pastor
2: or you, or you work for a parachurch ministry. Yeah, or, you're
1: right. I yeah. should have mentioned that, but we're all called to ministry wherever you yeah. are. So even if you're not an employee of a church or an, or another ministry, if you're an accountant or you're an engineer and you are following Christ and you feel like you have a calling to share the gospel with others, first of all, that feeling is accurate because you do have a calling to share yeah. the gospel with others. And there are people in your office, there are Uber drivers, there are family members, mm-hmm. friends, mm-hmm. waiters that need to hear the gospel that have never heard it before. Yeah. And so you can be faithful, you can have your own ministry as an accountant, as an engineer, as a teacher, just like someone who's a pastor of a church with 80,000 people. Yep. You can both have your own ministry and just to be yep. faithful with what God has given you and the people that he has put in your life.
2: Yeah, that's why I mentioned in my my little introduction that I've been working and doing ministry up here in Dallas for four years. I don't work in vocational ministry. I have a normal uh, eight to five job. That I work 40 plus hours a week, but uh, my ministry is, I probably put in just as much time um, there, as I do uh, in my normal job, it's a very uh, important part of uh, of who I am. And um, yeah, just because you're not a pastor, just because you don't work on staff at a church or a missions organization, doesn't mean that you have that you don't have a ministry. We're all called to ministry.
3: Yeah. When you're always saying when you're loving people well, that's success in ministry. Yeah. When you are sharing the gospel, not that someone's come to know Christ, but when you're sharing about Him. That's your job. Yeah. Ju- your job is just to share it, and it's God's job to soften their heart. Um, that's success right there on a, on a day-to-day small basis yeah. is when you're doing those things. Yeah. Great question, though. Anything else to add to that, Ro? Good answers. No, that's
1: really good I mean, that's really good. You know, you'll hit the nail on the head. I think it's just a matter of being faithful with what you've got and doing your job. Um, yeah. Amen. Well, we're going to close there. Get out there, guys. Read. Uh, remember, ask people what they're thankful
3: for. Read Matthew 19, Parole with the Rich Young Ruler, and Matthew twenty. After that was the key. I think read mm-hmm. that one as well, so you can be encouraged. Uh, I just have a blessed day, folks. Stay classy.
2: Thanks for having me on. J-
3: Always, time,
1: dude. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Mark with the C. He's Mark with he's, the
3: C. <laughs> He'll probably be back.
1: Hasta pronto Bye.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode. We hope you were encouraged and inspired to turn to the only one who can and will satisfy you. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them out. Feel free to reach us on any social media platform at Shine and Delight. You can also shoot us an email at shineanddelight@outlook.com. at Outlook.com. Until next time, be kind, love all, share your shine.